Today, I shall explain the concept of, of fallibility and reflexivity in general terms. <clears throat> I can state the core idea in two relatively simple propositions. One is that the situation that has thinking participants, the participants' view of the world is always partial and distorted. That's the principle of fallibility. The other is that these distorted views can influence the situation to which they relate because false views lead to inappropriate actions. That's the principle of reflexivity. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. Be. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations in the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. And here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? You didn't know this kid, okay? We did it. They're looking for help. We call BS. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved. And their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public, to public Access, Access America. America. For instance, treating drug addicts as criminals creates criminal behavior. It misconstrues the problem and interferes with the proper treatment of addicts. As another example, declaring that government is bad tends to make for bad government. Both fallibility and reflexivity are sheer common sense. So when my critics say that I am merely stating the obvious, they are right, up to a point. What makes my propositions interesting is that their significance has not been generally appreciated. The concept of reflexivity in particular has been studiously avoided and even denied by economic theory. 
So my conceptual framework deserves to be taken seriously, not because it constitutes a new discovery, but because something as commonsensical as reflexivity has been so studiously ignored. Recognizing reflexivity has been sacrificed to the vain pursuit of certainty in human affairs, most, most uh, notably in economics. And yet, uncertainty is the key feature of human affairs. Economic theory is built on the concept of equilibrium, and that concept is in direct contradiction with the concept of reflexivity. The concept of fallibility is far less controversial. It's generally recognized that the complexity of the world in which we live exceeds our capacity to comprehend it. I have no great new insights to offer. The main source of difficulty is that participants are part of the situation they have to deal with. Confronted by a rea reality of extreme complexity, we are obliged to resort to various methods of simplification, generalizations, dichotomies, metaphors, uh, decision rules, moral precepts, to mention just a few. These mental constructs take on an existence of their own, further complicated the, complicating the situation. The structure of the brain is another source of distortions. Recent advances in brain science have begun to provide some insight into how the brain functions, and they have substantiated Hume's contention that reason is the slave of passion. The idea of a disembodied intellect or reason is a figment of our imagination. The brain, the brain is bombarded by millions of sensory impulses, uh, but consciousness can only uh, uh, process only seven or eight subjects concurrently. The impulses need to be condensed, uh, ordered and interpreted under immense time pressure, and mistakes and distortions can't be avoided. Brain science adds many new details to my original contention that our understanding of the world in which we live is inherently imperfect. The concept of reflexivity needs a little more explanation. It applies exclusively to situations that have thinking participants. The participant's thinking serves two functions. One is to understand the world in which we live. I call this the cognitive function. The other is to change the situation to our advantage. I call this the, the manipulating uh, uh, or participating function. The two functions connect thinking and reality in opposite directions. In the cognitive function, reality is supposed to determine the participant's views. The direction of causation is from the world to the mind. By contrast, in the manipulative function, the direction of causation is from the mind to the world. That is to say, the intentions of the participants have an effect on the world. When both functions 
operate at the same time, they can interfere with each other. How? By depriving each function of the independent variable that would be needed to determine the value of the dependent variable. Because when the independent variable of one function is the dependent variable of the other, neither function has a genuinely independent variable. This means that the cognitive function can't produce enough knowledge to serve as the basis of the participant's decisions. Similarly, the manipulative function can, can have an effect on the outcome, but can't determine it. In other words, the outcome is liable to diverge from the participant's intentions. There is bound to be some slippage between intentions and actions, and further slippage between actions and outcomes. As a result, there is an element of uncertainty, both in our understanding of reality and in the actual course of in events. To understand the uncertainties associated with reflexivity, we need to probe a little further. If the cognitive function operated in isolation, without any interference from the manipulative function, it could produce knowledge. Knowledge is represented by two statements. A statement is true if it corresponds to the facts. That's what the correspondence theory of truth tells us. But if there is interference from the, the manipulative function, the facts no longer serve as an independent criterion by which the truth of a statement can be judged. Because the correspondence may have been brought about by the statement changing the facts. Consider the statement, it's raining. That statement is true uh, or false, depending on whether it is, in fact, raining. Now consider the statement, this is a revolutionary moment. That statement is reflexive, and its truth value depends on the impact it makes. Reflexive statements have some affinity with the paradox of the liar, which is a self-referential statement. But while self-reference has been extensively analyzed, reflexivity has received much less attention. That's strange, because reflexivity has an impact on the real world, while self-reference is purely a linguistic phenomenon. In the real world, the participant's thinking finds expression not only in statements, but also in various forms of action and behavior. That makes reflexivity a very broad phenomenon that typically takes the form of feedback loops. The participants' views influence the course of events, and the course of events influences the participants' views. The influence is continuous and circular. That's what, makes, that's what turns it into a, f a feedback loop. Reflexive feedback loops have not been rig rigorously analyzed. 
And when I originally encountered them and tried to analyze them, I ran into various complications. The feedback loop is supposed to be a two-way connection between the participants' views and the actual course of events. But what about a two-way connection between the participants' views? And what about a solitary individual asking himself who he is and what he stands for and changing his behavior as a result of his reflections? In trying to resolve these difficulties, uh, I got so long lost among the categories I created that one morning I couldn't understand what I had written the night before. That's when I gave up philosophy and devoted my efforts to making money. Public Access America is on Instagram, sharing sneak peeks, episode art, snippets of the stories, and more. Search Big Brain Pod and follow, like, and comment on Instagram. To to avoid that trap, let me propose the following uh, terminology. Let's distinguish between the objective and subjective aspects of reality. Thinking constitutes the subjective aspect, uh, events the objective. In other words, the subjective aspect covers what takes place in the minds of the participants, the objective aspect denotes what takes place in in external reality. There's only one external reality, but many different subjective views. Reflexivity can then connect any two or more aspects of reality, setting up two-way feedback loops. Exceptionally, it may even occur within a single aspect of reality, as in the case of a solitary individual reflecting on his own identity. This may be described as self-reflexivity. We may then distinguish between two broad categories. Reflexive relationships, which connect the subjective aspects, and reflexive events, which involve the objective aspect as well. Marriage is a reflexive relationship. The crash of 2008 was a reflexive event. When reality has no subjective aspect, uh, there can be no reflexivity. Feedback pollutes can be either negative or positive. Negative uh, feedback brings the participants' views and the, the actual situation closer together. Positive feedback drives them further apart. In other words, uh, negative feedback is self-correcting. It can go on forever, if, and if there are no significant changes in external reality, it may eventually lead to an equilibrium where the participants' views come to correspond to the actual state of affairs. That is what's supposed to happen in financial markets. So equilibrium, which is the central case in economics, uh, turns out to be a, a, a limiting case in my conceptual framework. By contrast, a positive feedback process is self-reinforcing. It can't go on forever 
because eventually the participants' views would become so far removed from objective reality that the participants would have to recognize them as unrealistic. Nor can the iterative process occur without any change in the actual state of affairs, because it's in the nature of positive feedback that it reinforces whatever tendency prevails in the real world. Instead of equilibrium, we are faced with a dynamic disequilibrium, or what may be described as far from equilibrium conditions. Usually, in far from equilibrium situations, the divergence between perceptions and reality leads to a climax which sets in motion a positive feedback process in the opposite direction. Such initially self-reinforcing, but eventually self-defeating boom-bust processes or bubbles are characteristic of financial markets. But they can also be observed in other spheres. There, I call them fertile fallacies, interpretations of reality that are distorted, yet produce results which reinforce the distortion. I realize that this is all very abstract and difficult to follow. It would, be, it would make it much easier if I gave some concrete uh, examples. But you'll have to bear with me. I want to make a different point. And the fact that it's so difficult to follow abstract arguments helps me to make it. In dealing with subjects like reality or thinking or the relationship between thinking and reality, uh, it's easy to get confused and formulate problems the wrong way. So, misinterpretations and misconceptions can play a very important role in, hum role in human affairs. The recent financial crisis can be attributed to a mistaken interpretation of how financial markets work.
to prove to everyone that it works. What? Public Access America. Yes, we can. On SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and now Facebook. Public Access Public America. Access America. History, in the, history making. in the making. 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 History in history the making. In the making. Access America is waiting for you on the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Download the app for free and subscribe to Public Access America to get more episodes like this in your feed every day. In the third lecture, I shall discuss two fertile fallacies, the Enlightenment fallacy and the postmodern fallacy. These concrete examples will demonstrate how important misconceptions have been in the course of history. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.